Welcome to the Eric Andrews Lang Show, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about Pebble, or we're going to talk about Spyglass. I'm not really sure. Um, to give you a little bit of a rundown, right now, we're in the very special Eastwood cabin, which is, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm still looking around. I haven't, I've looked in all the closets. I still don't see Clint Eastwood, but... Um, his spirit is here. That's that's for sure. Um, hang on, I'm getting a little feedback here. I don't get a little the electric cables, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I need to move these things around. How's that? Is that better? Sounds better to me. Um, so anyway, we're we're over here at the uh, Eastwood Cabin on the first fairway, which is um, an innocuous hole, if you will. Um, we came up here with our crew, um, myself, my partner Evan, our editor Thomas, and our newest member of the team, our PA, I don't really know what his title is, Emerson, and um, m- half of us had never played Pebble, and uh, so it was just a, a great time to be able to, you know, not get too focused on, like we talked about in the last podcast, the goals and more enjoy the process and think a lot about what we do and how we do it and um, what we want to do and, and how to do that. And a lot of talking about Random Golf Club, if you're watching this video online, which is just me sitting in a chair, I'm wearing a handmade Random Golf Club hoodie. This is maybe the first piece of merch that ever existed. I basically went to Uniqlo and bought some hoodies for like I think they were $10. And uh, then I bought some iron-on letters, and I ironed on some letters, kind of like a ransom note. And, um, I mean, I like it. It's a comfy hoodie. And this was the first hoodie that we ever sold that had the embroidered Random Golf Club logo. Um, But, uh, you know, and I just bought them from Uniqlo and sold them. I don't know if you're even allowed to do that. You're probably not allowed to do that. But um, the... The overarching experience for me of the trip and what I kind of want to get into on this podcast is, well, not only, you know, the difference between Spyglass and Pebble, because I do think that that is a worthy debate and it is like most sort of golf course discussions that are all at the resort. Like if you were to ask me, what's my favorite course at Bandon? I mean, it's hard to say, you know, um, what's my favorite course at Pebble? You know, we've also got the links at Spanish Bay and Del Monte, um, you know, for a long time, I, I think I've played both courses maybe four or five times. I've been lucky enough to do that. Um, the first time I ever came up here and did it was with my father and brother and Dr. Joe Parent on my 30th birthday, nine plus years ago, way before anything existed. There was no nothing. This is, this is, I've been playing golf for a year, I think. And I, I told the story on Instagram, but it was my, uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather, my mom's side had passed away at 93 and he, um, had devoted most of his life to education with a purpose. And for those of you older folks that might ring a bell, Simon, do you know, do you remember education with a purpose? Did you ever see Highlights magazine? You know Highlights. All right. I don't know if you know Simon. He's the one. Simon takes most of the photos here. 
He does a great job with it. Are you getting nervous? Don't get nervous. I'm not going to interview you. <laughs> Are you going to get some photos of this? Why don't you get some photos of this too? It doesn't look that. I mean, this is, we're in the Eastwood cabin. What is it? Eastwood cabin. Um, so before we get into Highlights Magazine, Simon here. 19, I'll just tell you a little about Simon, about the crew. Simon was also on the trip. Doesn't play a lot of golf. He's more into mountain biking. He um, he came out when we did the Loop episode of Adventures in Golf at Forest Dunes. Um, you know, a lot of times when we're traveling around, it's great to have a local hand, right? Whether they know where they are, or you know, um, you know, it's like we need that extra bit of help. Kind of a lot of it is carrying bags and you know, kind of. Um, making sure my food's not poisoned and things like that. Um, <laughs> we just watched Annie Hall the other night and when, uh, when uh, Woody Allen introduces Brian Roberts, is my food taster. Make sure it's not poisoned. Um, but, uh, but Simon, uh, Simon was on that job and, and I, I don't even know, you didn't even take any pictures on that job, did you? No, but, but why did I think you'd be a good photographer? I think I saw your Instagram. And I was like, shit, this guy's got some snaps, some skills with the photos. And um, yeah, I don't know. Next thing you, next thing you, where were you next? Dominican. We went to the Dominican and then we went to Portland and Ohio, which we're going back to this week, strangely. And then, and then you were in Korea and then Australia and now here. Florida too, right? You came to Florida. That's right. You, you got the photo of me and Tiger. No one's seen this photo yet. It's lit. It's crazy, man. It's I was the more nervous then for any other moment in my entire life. Um so yeah, we uh we we brought Simon along and now he's part of the team and and uh you know, he's the one who's always taking these glorious photos. And he has heard of Highlights magazine, but he doesn't know what education with a purpose means. No, entertainment with a purpose. Education with a purpose. No, entertainment with a purpose. Maybe it's entertainment with a purpose. Anyway, I don't know. My grandfather was deeply involved in the creation of Highlights Magazine. And the reason why I bring that up is because at 93 years old, when he had passed away, he had 18 grandkids at the time. And he had made a little money in his life, nothing too wild, no, no, no Eastwood cabin, no uh, Pebble Beach property no memberships to multiple golf clubs. Wasn't a golfer, in fact. But he had this money set aside for all of his grandkids, and it was five grand each. So I had this money that was actually wrapped up in, um, you know, it, it, it kind of had to be approved by my aunts and uncles of how you were going to spend it. So you can't just go buy, uh, you know, you can't go get a credit to BevMo for the, with this money. You needed to use it wisely. And, um, well, I had just gotten into golf and I thought, geez, I mean, let's go play Pebble and let's use this money. So I paid for, um, I think all of the tea times with that money. I just burned it, but I really wanted to play golf with my dad and brother. And I knew that even then that time is no match for value, you know, t time and Buffett always says this is the one thing he can't buy, but time, there's an equation in there that has to do with time, value, and experience. And, um, 
you know, I've, I've, I've always been good at sort of making those decisions to live rather than save. And, you know, maybe I'd be a better accountant if I hadn't. But, um, but we came out here and we brought Dr. Joe Parent and, um, it was just a remarkable day. It was a remarkable day. And, um, we played Spyglass as well, I remember. And, um, you know, the, the, the crowning moment from Spyglass, you know, Dr. Parent wrote Zen Golf. And if you haven't listened to his podcast or watched it on YouTube, please do. It's, uh, it's, it's helped a lot of people go out and play better golf, not just enjoying it more, but, but actually scoring better. And that's the irony of it all. It's, it's, I realized yesterday at Pebble when we were walking around and I was playing pretty well. I, I, yesterday I came out with three birdies um, and uh, a couple couple terrible holes, but otherwise pretty innocuous um, <coughs> mid-80s round. Um, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like I played okay. I made the putts when I had them and hit some bad shots, obviously. But it was funny because, you know, I, I'm, I'm playing the draw now off the tee and the first 10 holes at Pebble have trouble right. So it's it's not really the best hole for a draw. A cut would be much more comfy over there, taking it up the left side and just letting it fall on, on the left edge of the fairway and, and come in on that line. It's all the fairways are sloping left to right too. So, um, yeah, I realized somewhere along the way that golf is very akin to snake charming. You, uh, you are tasked with um, dealing with your demons on the golf course and you can't muscle anything into it into uh, into being under control the only real way to untie the knot that is golf is to stop untying the knot is to is to like sit there and spoon bend um so i'm gonna just drink some coffee hang on one second that coffee's good. Um, okay, so here's the deal. When I really break it down, over the over the several times that I've played up here, Pebble has always sat second chair to Spyglass. And I know that that is probably not the popular take, but I have heard that, and I'm not putting myself in this category, um, better players like Spyglass. And I'm not sure why. Um, I think it's because Spyglass demands your attention. You know, I know that when we were in Scotland and we talked a little bit about the Lynx courses and we talked with Tom Watson, Lynx courses give you no frame of reference. It's very hard to aim. There's no tree. There's no electrical pole there's there's nary a building there's nothing to aim at there's bunkers that you can't see and there's undulations that you can't control uh the hole is basically this tumbling ribbon of earth pasta that extends in front of you and you just have a question mark on the t which i don't like too many questions on the t you know, uh, the, the, I, I mean, I'm not a golf course architect and I'm 
merely a, a sniveling student of golf course architecture. So to say that I know what I'm talking about would be a lie. But Spyglass always had me. I always, I have always walked up to Spyglass and felt some sense of mystery, some sense of magic. It could go back to the title, Spyglass Hill. I learned this morning when I texted Trent Jones, who's uh, the grandson of the architect of Spyglass, Robert Trent Jones, um, and the the uh, the family there obviously is steeped in architecture, like a napkin soaked in red wine. Um, I don't know. Is it? Do you soak a napkin in red wine? Maybe you had to spill. But Spyglass wasn't always called Spyglass when it first was being built in the early 60s, they were going to call it Pebble Pines, which is a what I would say a tragedy narrowly averted. Um, Pebble Pines, I'm not sure if it was a working title or if it was just in between, but I did hear that Morse and RTJ are featured by a sign that says Pebble Pines. And at that time, the NCGA owned the property and leased it back to Pebble Beach Resorts. And it was a 50-year lease, which just ended in like late 2016, 17, 15. Because at that, because up until then, all of the morning tea times were held, it was a semi-private golf course, and all of the morning tea times were held for the members and the public could play in the afternoon. And so it's relatively new that the public can play in the morning. Um, but the NCGA for some reason, and I don't, I don't know the full story yet. I will dig into this when we do the interview with, uh, RTJ the second, but it was, it was deemed a, um, there would be a contest for a name and we, I don't know who, but somebody entered the name Spyglass Hill based on Robert's Louis Stevenson's book, Spyglass. And so that's interesting to me because there's the origin of the name. And, and, you know, everything that we do at Random Golf Club is we try to think of it as, you know, for us, by us, kind of user generated. You know, like we we make it happen. And when we do a meetup, you're you're there. So you are the Random Golf Club. And then to be a member of Random Golf Club, you merely have to claim yourself a member. There is no it's just Marco Polo at that point. So we. We learned that it was going to be called Pebble Pines. I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. But um, I don't know. There's there's something about the winding of the golf course. The aiming points, you know, you're standing on this first tee. It's it's incredibly a triumphant start. And then you just sink down into this, you know, sea level green. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not the hardest course I've ever played. I consider Spyglass relatively playable. Um, you've got a lot of room off the tee and then it's it's kind of got this like dichotomy of relatively manageable tee shots that force you to pick a line and own it a miss obviously you know you then have to deal with that and you've got a lot of trees that you need to work around which which pebble has as well there's there's plenty of trees up there on the back nine um you know and on some of the opening holes but the the experience at Spyglass is it almost feels more like you're on a rail and ultimately the takeaway for me and the group Emerson and Thomas and Evan was you know I think I mean 
I think they were all pretty surprised at the experience of playing Spyglass. I know before I had ever um, been up here, I remember I had a, a roommate that I lived with when I was just getting into golf. And he said, you know, he had gone on a work trip and his boss took him to play Spyglass. And it, it's so interesting when, I mean, this is kind of pre-Instagram at that time, but it's so interesting when we basically hear about something and have no context for what it actually is. And now there are photos everywhere and you can Google it. But, but the, but the thing is between the moment of learning about something without a photo and then seeing it, there's this kind of gap. And I remember I didn't understand what spyglass was, but I know the name stuck with me very, very uh, concretely. And, um, you know, I think when you first go play it, because you're so used to looking at images of Pebble, I mean, everybody knows Pebble, right? I mean, that's that's the obvious, right? And and when we were talking to our friends over here at the resort that brought us up here, they were kind enough to bring the team up, set us all up for golf, and, um, you know, really give us an open runway for how we want to interpret the experience in the content that we make this podcast. We made some videos that'll be out. And, um, obviously Simon took some banging photos. I mean, are they the best photos you've ever taken? The one in the bunker, the one in the bunker is nasty. Will you pull that up on your computer so I can, we can, if you're on YouTube, you can want, you can look at this photo. It's sick. It's from spyglass. Of course. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? Why don't you take this camera and set it up and just scroll through all the photos while I'm talking. Just just this other camera here. This is going to be crazy slides. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you are missing out. We're going to just set this up right now. Hang on. All right. This is a this is a reason and a half to look at this on YouTube because Simon's going to scroll through his computer right now as I talk about Spyglass. Mm. I put the coffee in with that creamer. That like sweet creamer, it's it's pretty good. I'm just gonna, you know, if you want to do a review of that, I give it a ten. Um, actually, I just prefer plain half and half, but that's also a ten. Everything can be a ten here. We don't need to split hairs. Anyway, getting back into Spyglass, Simon's talking about this sand shot photo. You have that up? Oh, he's gonna go find this sand shot photo. This is a good photo. Um, you know, it's funny because we're talking about spyglass and it's, it's iterations and it's experiences and, you know, to give you a rough lay of the land, if you haven't had the opportunity to play here yet, spyglass has five holes that go out on the water. You know, one comes down, it's a par five. It swoops to the left, like a bird kind of diving into the water, trying to get its fill for the day. It's gettable. It's gettable. If you hit a good drive in the right center, it's going to kick left, and you're going to roll down. You're going to have like 230 in. All right? It's a big green. you got a lot of room all over this green. You're going to clear the bunker probably unless you chunk it. Uh, but you know, we're not we're not talking about the bad shots here. Well, we'll get, in, we'll get into the bad shots. But you come around, and then halfway down, number one, you really see this magic. And uh, don't worry, you need to. You don't need to time the photos, Simon. You just you just scroll through, and just let people take a look. Um, and you uh, you basically have this experience of reveal. And when I when I was at um, 
Sand Valley with David McClay Kidd, who's the original architect of Band and Dunes. I said to him, what is the what is the main trick of your trade, right? Not drainage, you know, Pete Dye said there's three things to consider when building a golf course, drainage, drainage, drainage. And that's fact, that's obviously true. But beyond that, in the creation, in the create, in the creativity of it all, what are you really working at? What are you what are you what are you creating that makes the experience impressive and meaningful and valuable for the user, for the golfer? And he said peaks. Not P E A K S, but P E E K S. Peaks. You want to peek at it. You want the reveal. And that's most obvious on the um is, is it the sixth hole at Bandon, I believe? It, it's six, I believe. And, and it's a short par four. You kind of are going to take a long iron, maybe a three wood, and your tee shot isn't looking at anything. You're just kind of, you're kind of just going down a little chute. But when you get to the bend in this dog leg right, that's the reveal. There's a dune blocking your view on your right, and when you finally get out to that point in the fairway, about 180 out, 200 out, you see it. You see the green, you see the ocean, you see the world. You see where you are for the first time. And this is true of a lot of great courses. Um, and it doesn't matter what hole it happens on. It just matters that it happens. It matters that you start a hole one way and you finish it another. And in some ways, that's like a little tiny metaphor of the game itself. You know, we, we have 18 chances. We walk around. We spend hours. We hit many shots per hole, sometimes few. But even a few is three or two or four. And so we sort of we sort of get this we sort of get this moment of revelation, right? The 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 longer version of the word reveal. Something is revealed to us. And usually that's a sense of place, a sense of being, a sense of purpose. And this is obviously the architect's job. Our job as the golfer it's not really, I don't, I don't know. It depends on your stance, but it's not to criticize the architect. I would say our job as the golfer is merely to accept it and then experience our own revelations and, 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 and reveal our own character within the game. And I think the more a course kind of allows you to have those experiences, that's what makes an intelligent golf course. You know, we, we, we arrive on each tee of the course 18 times, and it's a new page in our little workbook, in our little SAT journal, our GMAT practice guide, or our coloring book, however you want to look. I mean, even a, even, even a coloring book, we don't even necessarily understand, is a series of problems. It's, it's interesting, though, because a coloring book has no right and wrong. Right, you can color the dinosaur any color you want. You can color the cactus any color you want. And there's no you don't you don't scan the finished colored in picture with crayon as a three year old and submit it for review. And so like in that way it's like the scorecard it why are we scanning the scorecard and saying how well we played or not? You know, I think when we when we stood on the first tee of Pebble yesterday, we all did a very good job of kind of selecting wholesome goals for the day. I was joking when I said I want to shoot my personal best. I, I'm always joking when I say that. 
you know, I mean, I always like, like any golfer out there, I want to play well. I want to have fun. And they're not necessarily inextricable. They're not necessarily one and the other. It's not, they're not, they are dependent on each other. And that's part of the game. And I'll get into the idea of how do you enjoy a bucket list round in the, in the next half. But going back into the magic that I find at Spyglass is the reveal. It's the, it's the, it's the twists and turns. I mean, ironically, a plot is interesting to us in a film or a book or a podcast when there are twists and turns. We, we love when they reveal something to us, you know, and it's sometimes it's metaphorical. Sometimes it's plot driven, but a golf course is the same way. That's all we're looking for. We're looking to start in a different place and then we will end. And that's per hole. So anyway, Spyglass starts you off on a master class of that with the first hole. And you're standing on this first green. You can see the fourth green over there, the fifth green. And you're down there. And then four, you climb back up. Three, you hit down into this beautiful par three where I almost had a hole in one. You remember that time? That was close. A little knockdown six iron, a little, little, little kind of three-quarter six iron. And I mean, we have a drone shot of it. It, it might have lipped out. Um, Thomas's first time up here, um, not just playing Spyglass and Pebble, but playing with a caddy. That is a that is a very adult experience that um, that a lot of people haven't had, and I've become accustomed to it in my life. Right? We we just sort of you know, a, a lot of times when you're playing really exclusive privates, they, it's mandatory. You know, um, so I've, I've, you know, w one of the, my favorite parts of playing with people, um, you know, is, is whether they're new to golf or whatever it is, but watching them experience the things for the first time that, that has its own level of excitement for me. And so being up here with Thomas, who hasn't played here, hasn't played with a caddy. I mean, it was so exciting to see him just soak in the experience and he's a great soaker right he, he just soaks in it um he uh he, he texted me let's see what he let's see what he said is we just said goodbye they're flying back he said playing golf on the monterey peninsula is unlike anything i've ever done the history of spyglass and pebble beach make them larger than life i think most people view them as more than just golf courses spyglass hill and pebble beach are worlds they are the pinnacle for golfers like my buddies and I. And so teeing off at Spyglass with Eric and the guys and a couple caddies was a really big deal. And then I hit my drive on the right side of the fairway. Eric almost holed out on number three, and I birdied number four. He did birdie number four. It was impressive. He, uh, he hit his iron to like five feet, which is one of those ticklers. And the greens at Spyglass are true. They are true. They're quick but true. Spyglass became a golf course at that point. The history and the scale of it all go away for a while as you slap a four iron from the trees and just play golf. That's I I mean, that is probably the most interesting thing is that we, we get consumed with this history 
and it's kind of like it's kind of like when the chef is telling you about all the ingredients and you're like, "Bro, I'm just eating this thing now." All right? I don't I don't I don't really, you know, I'm not I'm not that skilled to know what goes into it. I'm just enjoying the flavor of it all. So after those first five holes at Spyglass, you dive into the woods. You're back in the woods for the rest of the day. The next 13, you don't see. You might you think you see a glimpse of ocean on, uh, I want to say the 18th tee or fairway, but it's a glimpse. I mean, it's merely a line in the distance. That's the horizon. But, um, but you're just playing in the woods at that point. And there's something very secluded. There's something very quiet. You're in these massive, massive um, pines and these trees create a sense of scale and remind you how relatively minor we are as people on this planet. And um, a lot of people liken it to Augusta, and I can see that, and RTJ obviously worked on Peachtree, which which was created with Bobby Jones, and that was aimed at being the better Augusta. Whoa. Um, and uh, you're you're kind of alone in your experience on these back few holes, back thirteen. And and what I kind of like about that is is you know you Cyprus has the reverse. Cyprus, the first 13, 14 rather, are all inland. You don't see any real ocean. I mean, you get glimpses of ocean on these inland holes, but it's it's the ex, the the ecstatic holes. The holes with exclamation points are um, 15, 16, 17, and then 18, you dive away. A lot of people criticize 18 at Cyprus. It is not the best finishing hole by large margin. I would even venture to say that I've played munis that I've, anyway, um, no, I mean, love Cyprus. It's incredible. But I think that actually is a really good point is, you know, when you're looking at where you're playing, you know, well, well, the idea is, again, it's where are you? Who are you with? What does it mean to you? Not what did you pay, but what does it mean to you? Because I'm sure there are a lot of cats that go out and play f- amazing courses, and it doesn't. They don't. They don't get out of it what Thomas may have gotten out of one round. You know, I think that. You know, obviously, you know, I know that a lot of a lot of us out here are not really trying to. have every weekend be a bucket list experience. And so when I think of, you know, my first round here, that was exactly the way it is for a lot of people. You know what I mean? I, I, I I got just enough as a gift to be able to make the experience possible for the family. And that, you know, I mean, you, you, you're going to stay at the lodge. It's an incredible experience. The food is insane. The golf is insane. The caddies are all just the most gentle, uh, helpful sojourners with you. And, you know, with that, I mean, for it to be a bookmark in your novel of golf is almost mandatory at that point. 
there you you need to set aside time to make that happen and you can play pebble without staying at the lodge you can't you, i think you can't book it ahead of time there's some there's some rules here and there but you can scroll through and play it i mean and honestly you there's called there's things called not guaranteed tea times which is essentially a twilight and i mean i mean i would play the first nine at pebble without feeling bad at all i don't the, the second nine is incredible don't get me wrong, but the first nine is the magical nine. Um, so interesting takeaway for me on this trip was I always thought Spy Class was the superior course. I always I enjoyed it more. I don't know why. Pebble always messed with my head. It was too big. It was too much. It was too grandiose. There was there was the vistas were constant. There's this movie that came out years ago called Russian Ark. Have you heard of Russian Ark, Simon? Hasn't heard of Russian Ark. Russian Ark was a period piece in Russia, and basically it didn't have one cut. The entire film was one take. And, you know, because of hard drives or reels of film, every 20 or 30 minutes they would dip into a dark corner or go up a flight of stairs that were dark, and that's when they would stop and change reels and then continue. So essentially there's five cuts, but they don't even feel like cuts. And the film is exhausting. There's, there's, there, it's, it's, you don't realize how valuable a cut is because you get a break. You get a little B, B roll of the city or whatever it is or a close up. This, this golf course pebble has no cuts. It's, it's constant barrage of beauty. Um, I suppose it would be like going to a fashion show where just everyone's stunning and they don't stop walking by. And there's really great music. There's no music at Pebble. But I had always sort of had a hard time with it because of that. And obviously we did the break 90 there for the U.S. Open. And that was the first of its kind. And it was, if you've seen the video, you know how painful it was for me. But, um, and I'll be, and just to comment on I think you all know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that when I say painful, it's just a day. I've read some comments that say things like, dude, why don't you just have fun? And it's like, well, because I'm trying to prove a point. You know, I, if I never break 90 when I'm trying to, that would be a success. Because I'm just trying to give you an example of how terrible it is to go out and try to do something like that. Obviously, if you're, I don't know if Charlie Hoffman's watching those videos, but yeah, I mean, that's a different league. Um, as amateurs, we are lucky enough to be able to play for experience. So we... But the interesting thing for me about Pebble this trip was that I fell in love with it in a way that I, I normally put it second. I normally said, no, Spyglass is the better course. I enjoy Spyglass more. It's more beautiful. It's a better deal, whatever you want to call it. And I, I, I don't know. Something happened at Pebble where I just was blown away. And it could have been because of this incredible experience of bringing the team up here and enjoying the time together and, 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 and seeing this energizing quality of all of us out here. And, and it happens with everybody. Everybody gets that. I mean, we all come here for the same thing. We, we, we are coming to the fountain. So I got to have some more coffee. Hang on. Okay. Um, yeah, something about Pebble. I, I think what it was too is we we teed off at one o'clock, which is apparently an unofficial tea time. It doesn't really exist, 
Um, we finished in the dark five hours and 15 minutes later. Um, something about playing into the night like that really sets me on a little bit of there's, there's something about watching the sun go down as you finish the round. I, I really, I'm a morning guy. I love mornings. I love playing golf in the morning for sure. But there's something a little bit more poetic about playing as the sun goes down. As each hole goes on, the sun gets a little lower. It gets a little more beautiful. It's kind of like you use those bright hours <clears throat> to let the golf just kind of beat you up. And then as you as you come around, it's this it's this it turns into a photograph, and I love that. And you know, one of my the funny thing is we were talking about as a team. You know, I um one of my favorite moments on Spyglass this trip <clears throat> was um, when we headed out after playing. We went out to um, four, three, two, three, four, and we got that one drone shot of number one right at sunset. We had finished with just enough time to. Um, take some photos and go out there and, you know, fly the drone and, and catch a couple photos. And, and, you know, we, we had walked the entire round, um, of playing 18 holes. And then we jumped in a car, ran around, took some photos. And, and in a way that was like a, one of my favorite moments on the course is just sort of driving past the hole. And, and after walking five miles, it's nice to be in a cart and, and, and play with my other favorite toy, which is the camera, you know? And it was, it was very, um, you know, like enchanting to kind of get that um, aperitif of the golf course and 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 get to sort of go to bed with it. You know, we 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 play Twilight and we say good night when the golf course says good night. You know, I'm not a big fan of night golf. I I could get into it, I'm sure, but this is not that. This is this is uh, this Twilight experience. Twilight, right? What a great word. I wonder what the etymology of twilight is. Let's see if I can find it really quick. Twilight etymology. I spelled it right. That's incredible. No, I didn't. I can't see my phone, so I'm going to put my glasses on. Twilight. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to read this without glasses. Stand by, everyone. Middle English from two. Used in an obscure sense in this compound. So twilight is obscure. Twilight, light from the sky when the sun is below the horizon at morning and evening. So twilight is actually after the sun has set. Old English. Twi means two. Exact connotation of twi in this word is unclear, but it appears to refer to half-light rather than the fact that twilight occurs twice a day. Compare also Sanskrit samadhya, twilight, literally a holding together or a junction. Middle high German zverskerlicht, literally tween light, originally and most commonly in English with reference to entering, with, with reference to evening twilight, but occasionally used of morning twilight, a sense first attested in the mid-15th century. That's fascinating. Not sure what we got out of that little trip into the etymology, but um, I love etymology. Et- etymology, I really feel like, is one of my favorite 
kind of studies, the study of the history of words, because we really see what it, how it got to be what it is. Um, perfect is a good example. Perfect, the etymology comes from uh, the word finished. And so the perfect score is merely the score that is finished. It's perfected. It is done. And the idea that it's without error or without mistake is not necessarily the way it was intended. <clears throat> and so, you know, because we make a lot of content and make a lot of videos and this podcast is intentionally unedited, we, I try to see things as it's more important for it to be done than it to be perfect. And really, we're just redefining perfect at that point because if you're telling me the origin of the word is that it's done, then it's done. So I always find that very interesting. Um, I'll tell you a little story about when I, when I went up here for the AT&T, um, the year DA point, uh, was it the year DA points one? No, it was not. I think it was the year Brent Snedeker one. I don't know the year, but it was very early on. I was doing some filming for be the ball. I had media passes <clears throat> and we came up and, um, my main goal was to get an interview with Bill Murray. And I, I thought, you know, this guy gets it. He's talked about golf. He's played golf. He's clearly a deep thinker. And so we went out on the practice days. And, you know, of anybody in the tournament, Bill is definitely the most sought after. He's the mascot of the tournament. You know, he's always wearing a special outfit that just sort of is genius in its lack of care, right? His, his, his comedy is exuded when you see what he's wearing that day. I think one year he wore pajamas. One year he wore a full duck hunting camo outfit. You know, one year it was a kimono. Um, you know, he frequently wears a funny hat and suspenders and colored colored gloves and I tracked him for days and I'm sort of walking with him inside the ropes and I'm you know I'm there with him and we've got all this footage of him <clears throat> you know playing golf and, and interacting with fans and you know saying funny things and I have three memories of being with him for these days and and, and we never talked until the very end Saturday after his round at Spyglass but I was with him at Ron Array, I was with him at Pebble, and I was with him at Spyglass for those three days. And like I said, we never talked, but he, he became aware of my presence. I knew that. And it could have been because I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt or had a funny hat similar to him. Um, and we made eye contact twice. And, and when we made eye contact, there was a smile. You know, there was like a, a knowing, oh, okay. You, I can tell from your outward appearance that you feel the same way about this game that I do. And what that kind of means is sort of the random golf club ethos in a nutshell is this game is meant to be played together and for fun. The three memories are the first one is his last round at Pebble, which I believe is Friday, his second day of golf. Monterey, he well in Monterey, 
someone came out of their house with a tray of shrimp cocktail and he it was a it was a woman and he grabbed her by the waist gave her a big kiss on the lips he didn't know this person and then grabbed a shrimp cocktail and fell over and it it was just i mean you know brilliant entertainment and comedy and just in the moment just just happening right there no thought behind it i love that kind of stuff you know it's like going up on stage with absolutely no plan so that was monterey and then and then pebble we're on the 18th tee box and and bill's a good player you know he's probably single digit i don't know what his handicap is but he can hit the ball and he's standing there on 18 and it's his tee shot and there's a crowd hundreds of people surrounding him on the 18th tee and you know it's just it's full on and he's standing there and he's sort of puts the ball in the ground and then he looks over at everybody and he says why are you why is everybody so quiet and he said and then and then he just started singing and uh and i don't know the song i wonder if I wonder if I could find it. Let's see if I can find it. Hang on. All right, folks. Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I don't. I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times, but they're doing it again. So whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies. Heat map. That means they know where you are right now. They literally know. And watch, I'm telling you, you're going to get an ad for Adidas footwear in your feed. I'm telling you, and I just, it's not me. I don't know if it's them. It's probably Xander, not DJ. Xander's got an X in his name, so he's a little more sinister. Even though I would not, I would probably feel more likely that DJ would really, he could he could do some damage with the club, um, to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to to see where they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip twist grip that's spelled the way it sounds anyway so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it and this is an ad lib and when they need it that's i just added that uh it's waterproof waterproof is key let's get let's get honest folks if you want a waterproof shoe unless you live in the desert you can wear sandals or moccasins but for everybody else you need the waterproof shoe so hit up the code chaos it's waterproof lightweight and obviously has the boost cushioning which we all love. There's even a high-top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K, so it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from Le Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. All right, I'm going to catch me now. We got Bordeaux. Let, 
Give me a second, all right? I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically, the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on tests, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing. I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls. They've got all different types. They've got the Tour. They've got the Drive. They've got the Pro. They've got the Pro Plus. They've got different colors. And you can also personalize less than uh, you can personalize. I don't know what number you can personalize, but you can personalize them. Whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year. So check out vicegolf.com. Get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course, that is. Anyway, y'all, see you in the showers until the next ad read. Precision Pro, folks. I'm going to do an ad-libbed Precision Pro read. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's got great design. And coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got I got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope and you get laser. I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy. And you get, I don't know, you just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes some good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. But on this planet, the Random Golf Club Rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The Rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks, but here's the thing. Jones, if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the, is the, is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand it's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the 70s. Uh was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some what's that? Taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space and you've got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at, at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out. It's, it's you know, that's the studio here says get a Jones bag. 
I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it. You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Club, everybody. Love them. Taylor made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were Taylor made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because I don't know if you've ever regripped your clubs, but you, you, you become an, an inhalant addict. Because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I say, how much did you say? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMade's instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition. Now, obviously, the Sim Max I'm playing is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have and I in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really I kind of love the wedges. The raw-faced wedges, MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. The, the band of the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do. And that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't just just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even, they don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be, what? What I play? I play the, okay, Studio is asking me to play, I play the P760s, four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face, 50, 54, and 58. And then I rock, I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shaft at six and a half Project X and that one as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a nine degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the ten and a half and the nine. We're gonna, gonna do a little experimentation. Maybe honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're gonna manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the uh, driver that I can't hit. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, here we go. This is this is not it, but it's kind of it. This is, this is what I think he had in his head. His was more like, um, I forgive, forgive me for singing, but it's something like, it's my last chance for romance. It's my last chance for love. 
That's basically what he's saying, standing over the ball, and then he pipes it, 265, right center, perfect drive. And unlike most tour players, I mean, he's not a tour player, but unlike most tee shots, huge round of applause, laughter, excitement, just, just the show existed. And then the other two memories, they're both at Spyglass, and when he walks off 18 at Spyglass, there's a massive crowd of people. I mean, it's just, it's a thousand people, and it's because everybody's walking off the course. All of the athletes and actors and stars and everybody coming off of the 18th green, they're they're walking over. People are getting autographs. I mean, it's just it's a wonderful experience to be up there for the AT&T. And he's walking off, and someone goes, "Hey, Bill, tell me a joke." And he stops walking he's he's on the cart path between the 18th green and the press area where he's going to get interviewed and he stops walking and he says there's like a 10 second silence and everyone stopped i wasn't even i couldn't even see him at the time i could just hear it happening and he stops walking and he looks at the guy and he says you're looking good today (laughs) and i mean again everybody erupted in laughter so then he comes into the press area and I've got this little media badge and I've got this like, you know, camera strapped to my body with this like belt strap and this like pressurized pole that keep the camera steady. And I've got headphones and a fanny pack with sound gear inside of it. And I said, Bill, can, uh, can I please ask you a couple questions about your take on golf? And he looks at me and he says, okay. And we're getting ready to do the interview and I'm shaking. I'm so nervous. This is this is the top of the mountain. This is where the golden goose egg sits. This is where the wizard is. This is it. This is why I'm here. And I roll the camera and I get ready to ask my first question and someone comes up and they go, "Bill, good to see you." And he turns, gives the guy a hug. The guy starts talking to him. Bill walks away. He doesn't leave the area, but he's around. <clears throat> and 30 minutes go by, and I'm like, oh, my God. This is this is all I came for. I just wanted to ask him, like, two questions. And uh, he walks away, and then he starts talking to everybody else. And, I mean, you know, he's just floating. He's a crouton, just floating through the salad. And... um you know, the one crouton. And um, he's about to leave. And I said, Bill, Bill, can can we just do that little interview? And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, go ahead. And I found out later, someone came up to me from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, an old veteran writer. You could just see the words that he's written are just on his face, just tired. And he says, how did you get that interview with Bill Murray? I said, what do you mean? I just asked. And he said, no, no, no. He never does interviews. Never. And I just I reflected back on those moments that he that he saw me with him there. <clears throat> and um so we said so we get the interview, he says, All right, we get the approval, we go, we light up the camera, get the mic out. And I said, um, I said, don't worry, Bill. It's going to be easy questions. Easy questions. He says, okay. 
And I said, finish the sentence in one word. Golf is. And he, he's looking around. It's obviously very distracting. It's very busy. And he looks squarely at me. Almost like he's mad. And he says, I thought you said these were going to be easy questions. And I was actually a bit scared. <laughs> and, um, and he said, golf is. Golf is. There's no easy answer to that. Golf is. Then he takes a deep breath. And he kind of shrugs. And he says, golf is an opportunity, I guess. That's all it is. And then I said, would you say golf is a spiritual game? And he said, well, it's all spiritual. So I don't know why golf wouldn't be included in that. And then he left. I think there was a few more questions in there, but that's pretty much it. And the behind the scenes of that is that as soon as he walked away, I was filled with such a sense of triumph and relief that I burst into tears. I couldn't contain myself. It was as though, I, I don't know, it was as though it was all done. You know what I mean? Like it was as though, I don't know, it was so difficult doing it all. You know what I mean? It was It was not easy. Um, Sorry, my phone's vibrating. It was it was not easy. And the idea that it was completed, perfect, if you will, was was difficult to deal with. I had had dreams about this moment. I had worked so hard for it. I had wanted it for so long. And then for it to appear was very strange. And maybe it was even just that he saw me as an individual. You know, he, he, he gave me the quote time of day and that was an impressive experience, you know, because I'm coming in here, like I described my appearance, you know, I'm just kind of learning about life still as a, as an early thirties kid, right? I don't know when we kind of become men or women or become adults, but it it seems to be not so much in a uh, account of the years but account of the way that you know the 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 it's like a merit badge based you know and and when you're a when you're a scout as a kid you kind of achieve these different lessons and the life lessons are sort of a combination of success and failure and your own self-image, and those kind of come together into a, um, you know, painting, and 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 all of a sudden you're looking at yourself and you're like, oh wow, I'm I'm an adult now. For me, I was probably a little later than most. Struggled with discipline and responsibility early on in my life until I found something that I really cared about, which was you know creating things, um, but that creation that we made on that day at Spyglass with, with myself and Bill and my friend Jesse who was helping me out with the camera, that was that was like a... I was kind of different after that. 
So let's get back to the core stuff. <laughs> Emerson sent me a text here. Let's see what he said. They're on their flight back here. Birdied number seven, folks. I birdied seven. It was great. I had a 15-footer. Um, that was incredible. Speaking of a successful hole, you know, Emerson is a good golfer, um, is mid-80s shooter, and um, he he said something interesting. When we were talking, he said he, did, he didn't play like he wanted to, but he wasn't angry or disappointed. Um, it's hard to be when you just stop and look around for a second, right? That's 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 definitely the overarching experience of these places. It's like the the experience supersedes the performance, and that's like a wonderful, uh, you know, kind of experiential learning that if we can just go through and not get tied up in score. And this is something I've I've, I've beaten over the head. And, you know, there's there's always this, you know, oh, but do you keep score or what? I, I always keep score, but I don't play for it. Um, you know, the experience of, you know, walk and Emerson kept likening Spyglass to Augusta. And I don't think he's wrong at all. I, I see that completely. Um, you know, the, uh, the idea that we come out here and, 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 and spend all this time planning and spend all this time coordinating schedules and, and, and locking things in, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like for amateurs going to these bucket list courses is like playing a major, you know, we plan out the outfit, we clean the grooves, we clean the shoes, press the pants, we go to the range, you know, it's like, oh, what's my swing doing today? You know, it's not a ho-hum round. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And there's something about that that makes us all feel like we're playing in a major. It's the amateur's version of a major, a bucket list experiences. You know, whether it's, you know, I mean, because I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, the irony is that the more money you spend on something, the more it's worth to you somehow. And, and I believe that is true in some sense. But at the same time, I mean experience is all valuable but when we put the sort of number on it it's like oh wow i i really have to enjoy this and i don't think that there are a lot of people going to pebble and spyglass that are leaving angry or frustrated but the idea that we want to play well is a challenge it's it's sort of a it's sort of the uh the extra bit and you know I don't have the answer to that I'd love to dig into it um some more maybe I got to do some thinking on it um because ultimately we uh we need to determine perhaps at some point during the round or ideally before we play why we're there and and I don't just necessarily mean on the golf course the process of it all is very crucial you know, I will say an interesting tidbit about my round at Pebble is um, hit a great five iron on number one great nine iron onto the green almost made the putt easy par second hole drive leaked a little right 
Hit a four iron pin high. This is a par five, folks. Bomber. Hit a four iron pin high to a green that's at its shallowest point, the angle I'm coming in at. And uh, I chip it up on the green. It, it, it drifts past the pin by about 15 feet. Make the putt for birdie. Third hole, one under. Pebble Beach, let's go. Trying to prove to the world that I can break 90. Different circumstances. Fairways are much wider. Green is uh, rough, is much thinner. Um, I'm not playing from the back tees. Um, the greens are not as fast. I mean, so many differences in the condition of the course. I actually heard that they mowed the rough down between when I played it and tried to break 90 and the U.S. Open itself, which, I mean... I deserve a couple strokes for that, in which case I would have broken 90. But it's a better story when we don't, isn't it? So I'm on the third tee, one under, and I'm thinking about being one under rather than thinking about the tee shot and swinging freely. And I basically pull out the three wood and I stop on it. I stop, not stomp, stop. I hit, the club hits, two inches behind the ball and it goes about 80 yards. I take an unplayable because it's in a foot of weeds. I bring it back. I, and, um, you know, on an unplayable, you can bring it back on any line between the tee, between where you teed off in the ball. And I find a clean lie and I top my four iron. I topped it. And then I've got about 210 to the pin still, and I'm now lying tee shot, unplayable, drop three. So this is my fourth shot with my four iron. And I absolutely lace it just right of the pin, and I have to chip. And I almost made the chip for a five. No, for a par. One, two, three, four. I almost made the chip for a five. That's right. It would have been an incredible bogey, I think. Anyway, as my caddy, who was the <clears throat> Joe, the same caddy we had at the um, Break 90 video, he said, when you hit that shot, are you thinking about score? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I am. And <clears throat> that thought about score presents a problem for Eric where I can't, swing normally the one fearful shot don't make a mistake that one fearful shot creates a yip in the swing it creates a, a, a you don't swing through it you don't swing freely and you know we were talking about kind of what's your favorite shot one or 18 the first tee shot or the 18th tee shot and for me it's always 18 I love 18 because it's like it's the last swig it's the last drop might as well swallow it up Whereas in the beginning, I'm like, oh, be careful, oh, goals. At the end, my goals are smashed. I'm just playing now for process. Now, I'm sure it'd be different if I was sitting on a 71 and all I needed to do was make a par to shoot my personal best. I would probably hit an 8-iron, actually. Um, but I feel like I'm out of juice, folks. <clears throat> Here's the thing. If you're looking at where to go, you obviously know there's a lot of options. I think for me, when I look at the bookmarks that this wonderful resort and Spyglass and Pebble have held for me, they each kind of combine into an experience that is very, very hard to replicate. Um, you really step into the history here. And, you know, honestly, before I, 
before I even came up here and played, I just came up and walked around. And even just walking around is a great experience. Jim Nance has got his new shop up where you can get your photo taken at the CBS booth. Um, you know, you've got the tap room. You've got it was a great little burger spot pub. And then downstairs, this my favorite restaurant is the bench. You can sit outside by the fire. And we sat out there for hours last night just going over the round and making jokes. And, you know, it's the ultimate experience. Um, great to see a lot of couples up here. Um I, I came up here as a couple once and, 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 uh, you know, we played a few holes and, you know, it's just an incredible experience and special thanks to Nick Siegel for, um, loaning us his house for the week. Villanalma has been a blast. We had time to get in there yesterday and do some brainstorming about RGC and what it's going to become and, and what we want to make it, um, for everybody to experience that, uh, you know, vibe. So we've got some great plans going into that. And ultimately, I feel really grateful. I feel grateful not only to be up here and to be a guest of the resort and, and, and to be given you know, the opportunity for you know, Simon to be able to take these great photos. And we flew the drone around. Miguel came out. We, we, uh, we brought Miguel out. He's been a fan of the content for a while. Lives right by Harding Park. If you need a drone operator, call Miguel. Um, and... Um, you know, it just, it's, I feel really grateful to be in this place, especially coming off of, you know, the, obviously if you know the sequence of the podcast, last week we talked a lot about the process and, 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 and really getting back into that. And that's kind of what this trip has, has been about, has been about the process and, and not the goal, right? When, when on the third tee, I made it about the goal and I had a terrible shot and I somehow subverted my goal. But if we stay in the process and there is no overall goal, we, we play better and we have more fun. And so this lesson was revealed to me this week over, over a golf ball. And it will continue to be that way as I pass through the rest of my years on this tiny little planet, hopefully experiencing many more golf courses. Um, getting ready for Buenos Aires. I mean, we're very excited for that. We're going to bring the Full crew down, all five of us. Simon's nodding. He's pumped. What, what kind of food are you going to try in Buenos Aires? They've got a lot of steak. It's big on. They're big on steak down there. He's down for steak. I saw you eat a. You had Kobe Black at the tap room. Hundred dollars steak. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, working with me is not all about Kobe Black. I, I don't. Was it good? Best steak you've ever had in all of your 19 years. <laughs> I should have asked for a bite. I didn't try it. I got the New York strip. I'm just a plain old guy. Medium. I don't like it rare. I don't like it medium rare. I like it medium. Um, anyway, without further ado, I sign off to you kind and wonderful ladies and gentlemen. Every, every, uh, every message that I get is great. I really do appreciate it. The uh, the uh, the world that we're creating means a lot, and we always are striving to to create things that are valuable. And um, I think this week has definitely provided us with some inspiration about how we're going to do that and what we're going to focus on. And ultimately, again, that just comes down to making RGC a place where we can convene and create 
a more sustainable experience for everybody. And when I say sustainable, I mean enjoyable. Um, so anyway, thanks again, Pebble. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors, Adidas, Vice, TaylorMade, Jones, and Precision Pro. Um, and see you in the showers. The showers here are incredible. So when I say see you in the showers, that is that is going to be an amazing time. All right. 